It's good to be back in church on a Sunday evening. We're going to be in the book of Genesis again. We're going to look at chapter 38. This morning I had said it was trying to kind of encompass 14 chapters worth in one sermon. And, And this is a very unique chapter. And if you turn there and you start to look at it, you're going to say, what in the world are we doing here tonight? Um, as it kind of pauses from the story of Joseph and starts to take a look at one of his older brothers, Judah. And again, we're not going to read that whole chapter, as there's some pretty intense things um, in that chapter. But we're going to just take a few verses and read and then kind of sum up a few things. And I think tonight, what I want you to see if you were here this morning, is the stark contrast to Joseph. In this family here, we talked about Joseph and how he was upright and how he followed God and God was with him and, you know, all these things that he faced. And Judah was a little bit different. He he didn't quite do everything the right way. And as a result, led to a lot of problems that probably could have been avoided had he followed God and had he obeyed God. So we're just going to read five verses to begin tonight. Um, before we do that, if you back up to Genesis 37, where we spent a lot of time this morning being introduced to Joseph in verses 26 and 27, that's where we're first introduced to Judah, as he was the brother who didn't really want to kill Joseph, but he's the one that had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. So while we, we think Judah, maybe he was a little bit better than some of the other brothers, and that he didn't want to kill Joseph, he still had the idea not to do the right thing, but maybe a little bit less of an evil, and sell his brother into slavery. And so we open up in chapter 38 now, in verses 1 through 5. We'll just look at a couple things about Judah here. And keep in mind, not at all what Joseph was like as we look at the life of Judah. It says, It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son and called his name Er. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. She conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chezib, when she bore him. If you would, bow your head as we, as we open with a word of prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for another opportunity to hear from your word, study your word, and I just pray that you would have us to um, learn and take from this passage of scripture what you would have us to, to see and, and to apply to our own lives and, and to be learned as lessons as we study the life of this man, Father. We just ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. When I was reading about this, one commentary, one, one uh, commenter, I guess you could say, commented on the fact that Genesis 38 is, is one of those chapters that most preachers stay away from. They either skip it or skim it, as he put it, because a lot of the detail in there gets kind of explicit, I guess you could say. And uh, it's just a tough passage to deal with, but I think that there are lessons to be learned from this, or it wouldn't be 
here in this story in the Bible. As we know, the Bible was inspired by God. Some critics of the Bible claim that this wasn't supposed to be there anyway. Why did we pause in the middle of the story of Joseph and air out all of Judah's dirty laundry? And why was that even necessary? And it was just a mistake. Somebody copied it down and they weren't supposed to do that. But us knowing that the Bible is the inspired word of God, I believe that God has a purpose in putting it here, and hopefully we'll get to at least some of that purpose tonight. But we see in verse 1 of chapter 38 that Judah leaves his father and his brothers. And when he chose to sell Joseph into slavery, when he came up with that idea to spread to his other brothers, I don't know, some people seem to think that maybe this was a feeling of guilt. He couldn't stay around anymore. Or maybe there was some anger because we know that family had some issues, even though they were part of God's chosen family. And we don't really know why he left, but he left and left, went away to a different land from his father and his brothers. Not only that, he rejects the family's marriage tradition and marries a Canaanite. That was not something that was supposed to happen. But he does and has three sons by the Canaanite. And we just named them in that short passage that we read there. Er, Onan, and Shelah, if I'm not butchering their names. In addition to that, Judah goes on to pick a wife, Tamar, for his firstborn son, Er. And as you continue reading, if we did continue reading in this passage of Scripture, you would see that Er was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord actually killed him slew him, the King James Version says in verse 7. And so custom would have it in those days that when um, the widow was left from the firstborn son and she did not have children yet, that she should be taken by the next in line, by the next born son, which would have been Onan, and he would take her as wife and carry on the family name for the older brother and bear his sons, so to speak. She would bear his sons, and it would carry on there. And he kind of goes off the plan here, and he kind of uses Tamar for his own pleasure without actually um, giving her the offspring as he was supposed to. And so he did evil in the sight of the Lord, not following the plan. And he too was killed, and his life was taken. And then Judah decides to go off the plan because she should have been taken by the next son, which was Shelah. And he's afraid now because two sons have now perished, and he's, what's going to happen if I give my next son to, to Tamar? Is the same thing going to happen to him? And so he goes under the excuse that Shelah is just too young, and he's not ready yet. And so what we'll do is we'll wait. You're going to go to your father's house, Tamar, and when the time is right and Shelah gets old enough, then he can take you for a wife. And so he's taking it into his own hand. Verses 13 through 26, though, it takes another wild turn. Reality TV has nothing on Judah's life than this passage of Scripture. Tamar tricks Judah into lying with her, so her own father-in-law, so that she will have a son by him, and that he would ultimately have to fulfill his duty of her having kids. Because you see, in that day, if women didn't have kids, it was 
a bad life for them. They would be destitute and poor with no kids to take care of them in their older age. And so it was a very bad thing for women not to have kids, especially at this time. So she's tricking Judah, deceiving him, and, to be, and so that she becomes pregnant with his offspring, and he would ultimately have to fulfill that duty of giving her offspring, even though he had denied her, Shelah. And the saga just continues. Once it's found out that Tamar is pregnant, Judah orders her to be burned to death right up until she is threatening to come forth with the evidence that the child actually belongs to Judah. So he backs out of it and admits that Tamar is more righteous than he is and admits his wrong in withholding Shelah from her. And then at the very end of the chapter, she gives birth to two twins that are ultimately the sons of Judah. So there's a lot happening here, a lot of details, a lot of disobedience from the plan of God. That's the overall theme we want to get at here tonight in short. And so there's three simple lessons, and this is going to be really quick this evening, but three simple lessons that I think we should learn from Judah in a different way that we learned from Joseph in this morning's sermon. And it's one, we have to be careful, people, as Christians, because number one, God's people are still prone to corruption if we're not careful. You can be born into a godly family. I mean, you think about it. These guys right here, Joseph and Judah and all the rest of their brothers, Jacob is their father, puts Isaac as their grandfather, Abraham is their great-grandfather. I mean, they, these are some of the heroes of the faith mentioned all throughout the Bible. Born into a godly family, the family of God, yet corruption still gets a hold of Judah here. So I think we need to take that as a lesson to understand that we still can be prone to corruption if we do not guard ourselves. We have to guard ourselves against it. One of the ways, which leads me to number two, corruption often takes root when you marry outside of God's people. And if the young people were here tonight, I know one of them still is, but I would strongly caution you as you get out into your career, your college career, whatever it may be, and you move on and you start to look for that one that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you need to make sure it's the right one. You need to make sure it's the one that God would have for you and that she or he follows God and has the same heart for him that you do. The majority of Judah's problems that we see here probably wouldn't have ever happened had he not decided to make that decision and marry outside of God's people. He broke one of the, the easy traditions and easy rules of the family and married a Canaanite woman. Be careful with who you marry. Be careful with who you choose as that life partner because if that decision becomes incorrect and it's not who God would have for you, it's going to lead to a life full of misery, to put it bluntly. And then number three, corruption comes to fruition when you live in conformity to the world. Corruption comes to fruition when you live in conformity to the world. We have two different paths that we've looked at here today with Joseph, 
who did not conform, and then Judah, who does conform. And while we looked at it this morning, and Joseph's life was not all sunshine and roses, and, and he faced a lot of obstacles, and a lot of hard times, and a lot of temptations, and a lot of trials, and it felt like his life was maybe on this roller coaster ride, he never conformed to the ways of the Egyptians. He never conformed to the way of the world. He held true to his belief in God, and he knew that God was with him, and he stood his ground and stood strong, and even though those hard times came, we saw as the story unfolded, and you would see if you continue reading in those chapters as the story unfolded, how God used it all for his glory, and ultimately ended for the benefit of not only Joseph, but his brothers too, and his entire family. Whereas with Judah, God does offer mercy at the end of chapter 38, and he can offer mercy to you too, and he will offer mercy to you too, even when you mess up and yield to temptation and make the wrong decision. But as we can see, with Judah, a lot of damage was already done here. A lot of the things that and decisions that were made could not be undone just, before, just because forgiveness took place. So it didn't make life easy for Joseph, but he was never corrupted, and in the end, God works it for his good. While God had mercy toward Judah and Tamar, lots of damage was done. And if you can stay in the will of God and walk closely with him and let him guide you, a lot of that stuff can never you'll never have to deal with. You'll never have to, to deal with the damage that's already done, and it will save you much, much heartache and headache if you follow God's plan. And so whether you're a graduating senior or you're a young junior high kid, middle school kid, or you've been long gone from high school, I think we can look at the instances of these two individuals from the same family, came from the same household, yet went down two totally different paths. And so I would caution you that to this evening to make sure you are in the will of God, to make sure that, that you guard yourself against corruption, that you guard yourself against temptation. If you haven't chosen that, that spouse for your life yet, make sure it is ordained by God as you step into that life with that individual. And make sure that corruption can never come to fruition because you do not live in conformity to the world. And so I challenge you this week to keep these things in mind that we've talked about here today and to look at Joseph's life. Read this book, this story in Genesis. Go in, read all the details that we didn't have time for. And I think it will encourage you to see how Joseph overcame again and again and again. And you too can overcome as well. Anything before we close this evening? If not, let's stand. And I'll ask Jonathan Goble, if you wouldn't mind, to dismiss us in prayer.